Oswald ate him for breakfast. Ate him up and then spat him out. Not enough for her, though. She had to tell everyone about it, and that's when it started for him. Skunk, please. God, blink. Just blink if you can hear me. We're here, darling. We're all here beside you. It didn't finish there, though. It never does with the likes of the Oswalds. They're the family in one of the housing association properties on the opposite side of the square. Single parent, lots of children, music all hours of the night, bin bags in the front garden, Portsmouth FC flags hanging from the windows, Maori-style tattoos on overdeveloped biceps. This is Bob Oswald, the father. Bob Oswald, the father. The first time I saw him hitting someone, I was coming up ten years old. It was summer, hot, and Rick Buckley was washing the car his father had bought him as a present for passing his driving test. Skunk Cunningham was skipping on the tarmac drive that had once been their front garden. Other than Skunk and Rick, Drummond Square was empty. The attack happened out of nowhere. Skunk didn't hear anyone speaking. She didn't hear anyone shouting. The first thing she heard was the scream. It was high-pitched, like a horse, and before she knew what was happening, Bob Oswald had Rick Buckley in a headlock and was twisting him sideways like wrestling a bull. The two of them staggered out of the Buckley's front garden and into the otherwise empty square. Rick Buckley shouted, Stop it! I haven't done anything wrong! Bob Oswald hit him. Not a punch, but a blow with the point of his elbow. It landed in the small of Rick's back. Rick collapsed to his knees. Skunk stood frozen, hot in the sun, her small hands held up to her mouth. Bob Oswald hit Rick again, and Rick fell flat on his face. Bob Oswald kicked him in the gut, then the side of the head. Skunk recoiled at the sound of the thud. Then Bob Oswald took hold of Rick's hair and lifted his head up. He made a lot of noise, dredging his throat clean, then spat into Rick's face. After that, he studied Rick closely for a moment, then pushed him back down to the ground. Rick lay very still. He was silent. Bob Oswald stepped over him and made his way back into his house. Once inside, the throb of music that had played like a soundtrack in the background rose to a deafening thud. As far as I can remember, after Bob Oswald left him, Rick stayed on his face in the road. He was sobbing. I wanted to go over and get someone to help him, but I was too frightened to move. I stood with my hands raised to my mouth and my heart beating fast in my chest. Maybe as much as half an hour later, Mr. Buckley returned from the funeral parlour he managed and helped his son into their house. I sat down on the curbside and stared at the blood on the tarmac. I don't remember if I cried. I don't remember if I was sick. If I ever asked Jed or Archie about it, I don't remember what they said. In fact, before I fell into this coma, the only thing I really remember about seeing what Bob Oswald did to Rick Buckley was trying to forget it had happened. Even though this is how it all started, I pushed the whole thing from my mind.
the police turned up three days later. The squad car stood out like a beacon as it sat on the Buckley's front drive. Bob Oswald saw it through his kitchen window and thought about what he should do. Finally, he stepped out of his house and leaned against his jeep. From here, he watched the Buckley house until the policemen let themselves out. Then he marched over towards them. You, he shouted. I want words with you. The two policemen looked at each other and sighed. The Buckleys had just told them how Bob Oswald had beaten their son up for no apparent reason, but with no witnesses and no permanent damage done, the officers had convinced Mr. and Mrs. Buckley to let the matter drop. If what they'd heard about Bob Oswald was true, he was only going to deny attacking their son, and did the Buckleys really want to be involved in a drawn-out court case with...